You can be opening your Bibles this morning to the 19th Psalm, Psalm 19. We're going to read the entire Psalm, Psalm 19. Have you ever had anyone ask you, how do you know that God exists? And for most of us, that's probably one of the silliest questions a person could ask. And yet it is one that people ask, and, and they have a right to ask. We're told to be able to give an answer to those who ask us a reason for the hope that lies within us. And so it, it's a legitimate question, and one that we need to be able to, to answer according to the Word of God. How do you know that faith in Jesus is the only way to, if God exists, how do you know he's the only way? There's so many religions and so many denominations, and how do you know that faith in Jesus is the only way to God? Once again, it's a legitimate question, and one we need to be able to answer. And so the psalmist David, I think, in this 19th psalm is going to be able to help us answer those, those questions. And so let's read Psalm 19, beginning at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, that is, the atmosphere, shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, that is, creation utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to race its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In this psalm, David presents two very clear and powerful witnesses to the existence of of God and the character of God. And then after he gives those two clear witnesses that we'll consider this morning, he gives us the logical and reasonable response to knowing that God exists. And so let's let's look at these two testimonies, these two witnesses. The first one is the testimony of creation itself. David points to the firmament which is another word that the Bible uses for the, the atmosphere that surrounds the earth. And there's both the lower atmosphere and then there's space beyond that. He, he points to the heavenly bodies of 
specifically the Son, and that all of these are evidence of the glory and the power and even the benevolence of God. He says that their testimony is proclaimed every day. Every day you wake up and see the, the sun pop up. It's telling you there's a God. It is that wordless word, that speechless speech that every day testifies God exists, that he's real, that he's powerful. That voiceless voice declares that God is who he is. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 where the Apostle Paul points to the, to the same testimony, the witness of creation itself. Romans chapter 1, we'll read verses 19 and 20. So this is when you're dealing with someone, and usually it's not a one-time t- uh, witness that you bump into somebody and you witness to someone, but it, if you have one of those relationships where you're dealing with someone about God and faith in Jesus Christ, This might be something that you want to take them to and discuss. Well, let's look at creation to see what it tells us about a creator, about God. And so Paul writes in Romans 1, 19 and 20, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, man, are without excuse. Just looking at creation will tell you that there is a powerful, wise, benevolent being. I've used this example before, but to, to me it's a clear testimony. It's a clear example. Every creation will tell you something about its creator. Now, if I gave you a paper, if I gave you something that a professor, a college professor had written, and I gave that to you to read, and then if I gave you something that a first grader had composed, and I gave that to you to read, you don't know these two authors who wrote these two different pages, these articles that I've given you, but you can tell something about the author by just reading their creation, their composition. The professor, you're going to see, this is an intelligent, educated person. I I don't know the person, but from what he created here, from what he wrote, he's clearly one who knows how to put his thoughts together, together. He's an intelligent individual. Where if you read the first graders, you will find that there's a lot of disconnected thoughts, some rambling, some bad grammar, you'll know something that this is probably a child. I don't know who wrote it, but what he composed tells me something about the composer. That's true of creation as well. What does the firmament, the atmosphere of earth, reveal to us? This is what the psalmist David is saying, that the firmament declares the glory of of God, his power, his, in, his intelligence. What does the firmament tell us? Of all the planets in the solar system, Earth is the only planet that is able to sustain human life. Now, scientists are, are doing everything they can do to try to find life on other planets. But only this little blue marble, and that's one thing that many of the astronauts have, have 
commented on when they go out to space in that dark, cold space, and they look back, and there's this beautiful blue marble, Earth. And they are overwhelmed, and several have, have made comments about God and about the Creator as they look that this is the planet that is able to sustain human life, and it's because of the atmosphere that surrounds us. Now, I'm not a scientist, as you all know. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a lot of things. But, and you can kind of Google these things yourself, uh, the, the scientific facts. But I'll, I'll give you some basic things that help us to understand the balance of creation, how delicate the balance is, and how necessary it is for that balance to be maintained just for us to be able to breathe, to be able to have life. And, and to see what that witness tells us about creation and its creator. Without the, the unique mixture in the atmosphere of oxygen and nitrogen, plants, animals, and humans would all die. There has to be a balanced mixture. Now, the layer of the atmosphere that's closest to the earth, the, the scientists tell us, that it's a mixture of about 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. Now, it varies some, but it has to stay more or less at that mixture or things get out of balance and we die. As you get higher in the mountains, you say, well, how come it's harder to breathe? Well, it's still the same mixture of nitrogen and oxygen, but it ex it, the molecules expand. And so you're taking in less oxygen with each breath. But the mixture is still about the same. Without that balance, we're going to die. If it gets significantly out of whack one way or the other, if there's too much oxygen, we're going to catch on fire or blow up. If there's too much nitrogen, we're going to suffocate. And how long has this balance been going on? Years and years and years. The very fact that we get up and are able to breathe every morning is a miracle of God. And even we Christians sometimes forget that, don't we? This is why we should wake up every morning and just thank God for life. He's the one who maintains this. Let's go to Acts 17, verse 25. Paul addressing the Athenians who were worshiping all kinds of idols and gods. And Paul was giving them the evidence of why his God was God. Acts 17 and verse 25. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath and all things. The Athenians, they would create idols. They would carve them or they would um, make sculptures of them. They would create their gods that they then worshipped. And Paul says, uh, my God doesn't need anything from me. He's created everything from nothing. He's the one who gives us the very breath to breathe. That's what the firmament declares day after day after day. If the size of the earth was significantly larger or smaller, the change in gravity would cause the atmosphere to collapse and dissipate and kill us all. Just the right size, just the right gravitational pull. The distance between the earth and the sun, it varies some because it's uh, elliptical. But there has to be a balanced average of that distance, or once again, things fall apart. So every day, creation is testifying, there's a power here. There's a balance. David points specifically to the sun as a witness of the glory and the character of God. It, he describes it as a gloriously adorned bridegroom that is always punctual and 
ready for his wedding day. Or as a strong racer who is confident, he's there every, every time and he's ready to win. He said the son is like that. Punctual, powerful, reliable. So what does creation reveal to us with this delicate balance that allows us to breathe and to live? What does that say? You look at Roman and Greek mythology and you see that they believe that what we see today is the result of a lot of different feuds between the different gods and the fallout of those wars and feuds among the gods that the humans just happen to, to have to suffer whatever happens at their whim. It, is that what creation tells us, that there are a bunch of different gods with a bunch of different agendas that just do what they want for their own benefit and have no real care for man? Is that what creation tells us? I don't think so. Evolution tells us what? Well, there's a lot of different theories within evolution. There's some big bang or big collision or, or something that created all of these things, and they just spread out. And I've never understood why they were unable to explain, okay, but w- where did the matter that blew up come from in the first place? What, how, how did, you're, you're just starting on an assumption. And then on top of that evolution where we see man and animals and everything, all of this delicate balance that we see is the result of millions upon millions of good mutations and accidents. Is that what creation tells us? When you look at creation with all of its delicate balance, does it look like an accident to you? Creation tells us there's an architect, tells us there's one who has a plan and a purpose for human life. If you look at a mansion or beautiful painting or a sculpture, it never enters your mind to say, I bet there was an explosion and that just happened. Now, granted, there are some modern paintings that do look like that, but but you just assume automatically there's a creator, there's an artist, there's an architect. It, it, it's, it's what it tells you. There's somebody who did that. There's a design. And that's what creation tells us. There's a designer. And this designer has to be smart, intelligent, powerful. Just our our sun, which is which is a star which is less powerful than other distant, more distant stars. Do you realize our sun's not the most powerful thing in the solar system? And yet how powerful is the soul, our, our sun? How powerful. And yet the creator of that must be more powerful to be able to create it. The sun declares the glory, the power of God. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17. So when you are pressed to be ashamed of believing in creation by the Creator, your belief in God, and you're you're so ignorant because you don't believe the science, you have nothing to be ashamed about. You're simply believing the the evidence, the the clear, unshakable, unmistakable witness of creation. There's a God. He's powerful. He's intelligent. He's loving. All of this is for me. And here in Colossians 1, 15 to 17, we see how Jesus, the Son of God, before he became, before he was born here on earth as a man, the pre-incarnate Christ, it says he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That is the, the principle. He's over all creation, because for by him, by Jesus, 
All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. That is, all things are held together. Creation itself is held together by the very presence of God, the Trinity, the triune God. I've mentioned before how it, to, to, science can't figure out why atoms, the way that they, they're, they're composed and how they're held together. The Bible tells me it's by the very presence of the Son of God. They're held together. Otherwise... Yeah, there would be a big bang. <laughs> when I look at creation, I see the evidence of a creator who's wise enough to figure out what the balance is necessary. He created us. He, he knows what's necessary to sustain my life, not only physically and biologically, but spiritually. He knows I need him. I see a powerful being who was able to create everything from nothing by speaking the word, let there be light. And there was. You can, you can call me naive if you want, but the evidence is pretty clear. He's benevolent. He's a good God. He loves me. Otherwise, why would he give even the most evil man on the planet the ability to breathe his air? It's to give man an opportunity to be reconciled back to his creator, to know God, and to have fellowship with him, to have a relationship with him. He's patient. He's loving. When you look at all the evil that takes place that man... Man does the evil that he, that he executes upon his fellow man. And you just wonder, how can a loving God allow it? He's long-suffering. He's patient. He still lets them breathe the, his air in order that they might have an opportunity to know Jesus and to know God. And then he goes on from creation, which every day witnesses there's a God, and he's powerful, he's intelligent, he's benevolent. But then he points to the other witness, and that is the revealed word of God, the Bible. In David's case, it was the Old Testament. And then since then, we have had a fuller revelation given to us that causes us to understand the Old Testament. The inspired scriptures in Psalm 19, if you, if you turn away from there, we'll go back to Psalm 19. We won't read this again, but you can kind of scan through as I go through this. The Creator not only gave us creation to testify of His glory and His presence, His existence, but He's also gone to the trouble to give us a direct revelation of who He is and what His plans are, why He created us. He didn't have to do that, but He did. In 2 Peter 1, 21, keep your finger in Psalm 19, but let's, let's jump over to 2 Peter 1, 21. 2 Peter 1.21 says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Jump over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. God moved holy men to write down his revelation. He revealed himself to them, and then they wrote it down for us. And then in 2 Timothy 3, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible was given to us that we might know God and his plan of redemption. It has proven itself to be true and reliable and from one single mind, from Genesis all the way to Revelation 
God used different instruments, different men, to write down the revelation he gave them. They had different personalities. They had different ways of expressing themselves. But it is clear from Genesis to Revelation, there's one mind behind this word, the Bible. It continually points to reconciliation with our Creator through faith in Jesus Christ. All the way through. Ultimately, God revealed everything to man through the revelation that was given to the Apostle Paul about Jesus Christ. If you want to jot down Hebrews 1 and verses 1 to 4, Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 4, where the writer of Hebrews says that God spoke in many different ways in the Old Testament, but in these last days he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the final full revelation of how man is to be reconciled back to this creator. And those who believe the witness of the word of God, they themselves then become a witness. If you look there in Psalm 19 that we read, David uses seven adjectives to describe the word of God. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true, it's righteous. And because these things are true about the word of God, when we obey them, when we allow the word of God the Bible, its instructions to govern our life. When we believe what God says, it transforms us. It converts us. It reconciles us back to our creator. It makes us rejoice. It makes us happy. It guides us. It warns us of the foolishness of choices to deny the authority and the very existence of God. It warns us. And yet it gives us this unshakable foundation to believe God and to come into a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. You build your life on this solid foundation, and you will be on unshakable ground. It gives us light so that we can see things as they really are. We can see what life's all about. Another thing that man is searching for, what what is life all about? We're, We're born, we go through different experiences in life, and we gain things, we lose things, and then we get to the end of our life, and, and we begin to fail, and we die. We'd have to say, just without knowing that there's a creator, we would have to say, like Solomon in, in the book of Ecclesiastes, life is vain. It's empty. What is the point? Life has no meaning apart from understanding our creator has a plan for us that goes beyond this life. He wants us to know him and to share with all that he is and all that he has through faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins to reconcile us back to God. The Bible presents that clear witness of the plan and the purpose of God. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3. For those of us that are willing to accept the testimony of the Bible, the revealed word and will of God, we ourselves then become a witness of the reality of God from our changed life, from us benefiting from all the things that David listed there, that that our path is on a right path that the things that we embrace as true, they're pure, they're right, they're everlasting. They bring joy and peace when nothing else, no other philosophy can do that. 
not for any extended period of time anyway. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. The Apostle Paul says, You are our epistle written in your hearts, known and read by all men. When Paul gave them the, the gospel and their changed life, they themselves became an epistle, a letter that somebody could read and say, Oh, that's how you know God. That's what it is to know God. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Only the gospel can change the vile heart of man. The Bible tells us the heart of man is desperately wicked. And we see that, don't we? But the gospel of Jesus Christ can change, and then you become evidence. There's a creator and the way to know him and benefit from all of the, the blessings of, of the source of life is through faith in Jesus Christ. You become a witness. So David closes this 19th Psalm, if you want to glance again at verses 12 through 14 there. Since we have clear witness that, that we should accept these testimonies of creation, of the word of God, how should that impact us, knowing these things? Having these daily testimonies present us day after day after day, how should we res respond? As you read that last passage there in Psalm 19, it really comes down to an unconditional surrender to the will of my Creator, my God. God's eternal purpose is to redeem man back to himself, accept his gift of redemption. That's the first response, to know that there's a God who loves you, who's almighty and all-powerful. Accept his gift of redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. And then for every area of your life, every word that comes out of your mouth, may it be to please him. Second Corinthians 5 verses 6 to 9. This was Paul's desire after having come to know Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And remember, he refers to himself as the chiefest of sinners. He killed Christians. He jailed Christians. He beat them. And that's why Paul considered himself the worst of the worst. And yet Jesus loved him enough to save him. Not just save him, but to make him the apostle of this church age to declare this message in full. And so this was Paul's response once he had a revelation of who God was and who Jesus was. Second Corinthians 5, 6. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. It's not a blind faith. It's not an ignorant faith because it's based on witnesses. If you're in a court of law and you weren't at the scene when a crime was committed, how are you going to make a decision whether that person is guilty or not? You're going to either accept or reject the testimonies that are presented, the witnesses. Our faith is not blind. We believe the clear witnesses, the testimony, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body, that is, die a physical death, and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, our purpose for living, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to the Lord. That's the response that we should have, knowing that God is God, that he's real, that he's made a way for us to be reconciled back to him in a relationship and a fellowship through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. An unconditional surrender to the will of God. This is the response. First for salvation and then for 
an ongoing dedicated life of godliness. This is the only way we can really enjoy life. The best is yet to come. He's preparing us for eternity. This short, quickly passing life is only a preparation for eternity, which never ends. And so our our hope in Christ is eternal. But while we are in this life, he's promised to care for us. He's already purchased us with his blood. Do you think he's going to abandon us till he comes back to get us? No, he's going to care for us. And so while we live this short life, may we not live it for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Let's read in closing verse 14 again, that this would be our, our desire. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable or pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. May that be the desire of our heart. Every day you get up and you breathe his air. Give him thanks. Rejoice in his goodness, his power. And to understand that all of that power and and the Son is just one little expression of his power. But all of that power and all of that intelligence, all of that wisdom is directed to my eternal well-being. All things work together for my good. Why can I be assured of that? Because the creator of heaven and earth said it. We have much to be thankful for. Just because God is God. And he's revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. Well, let's have a song in closing.